everyone, and welcome to Ultimate Fighting Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Henson. So this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Bellator that happened on Saturday night, I think it was. There was a lot of fights going on this weekend. We had Invicta, Bellator, UFC. Apparently, there were some basketball games going on for All-Star Weekend, or I don't know, I missed the basketball part. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Bellator event as far as it goes with the Matt Mitrione fight. And then we're going to jump into UFC Fight Night on ESPN 1, Nagano versus Velasquez, the return of the king. And we're going to talk about his return in general too. And we'll go ahead and jump in a little later into next week's fight predictions and what's to come. Um, so I missed the prelim, the early prelims because I was out looking for a new house to rent. And so I still managed to write those down for everyone though. And it surprised me because Renan Barrow was on the early prelims, which is really, really weird. Uh, so, started off with a women's strawweight bout between Alexandra Albu versus Emily Whitmore. Emily Whitmore got a submission in round one, one minute and one second in. And I really like how she uh, Alexandra spells her name. It's actually really cool. It's A-L-E-K-S. From there, they had a bantamweight bout between Renan Burrell and Luke Saunders, Sanders. Luke beat Renan with a KOTKO in round two, one minute and one second in. So from there, I actually managed to catch the rest of the fights just in time because I showed up like maybe five minutes after the Brow sanders fight ended and managed to get my ESPN app on my Xbox all set up just in time to catch the, the prelims, the normal prelims, which is really good because there were some amazing fights uh, Sunday used to it being Saturday night. So they started off the early prelims with a lightweight bout between Scott Holtzman and Nick Lentz. I was actually, I, I think I was actually rooting for Nick Lentz. I can't remember who I picked for this fight, but I think I picked Nick Lentz. Now, Nick Lentz won a unanimous decision, 29-28, from all three judges. So all three rounds basically went about two or three minutes of striking, and then Holtzman would try and wrestle. And it was a really good fight. Um, now Holtzman managed to not get any uh, takedowns. He did defend quite a few. 
He tried to defend quite a few. Nick Lentz got 16 of 17 takedowns. Now, my problem with this was they kept saying how many takedowns he got. And they kept being wrong. And it wasn't just by like, okay, he got 15 takedowns out of 17. No. They gave him like 8 or 9. And I don't understand how. Because you can visually see him get taken down to the ground. And some for some reason, Anik and Cruz were agreeing with him. So... Now we can't count, we couldn't count significant strikes. We couldn't count total number of strikes landed. And now we can't count takedowns. We really, really need to get some better people in there that are counting this stuff. Because he obviously had at 16 of the 17 takedowns. It's not up for debate. I mean, he took him down 16 times and I kept marking it down. Takedown and up. Takedown and up. Takedown and up. Takedown and up. That's exactly how it went. He wasn't down for more than like 10 seconds any time. But, you know, we've, we've had some issues in the past with how they've counted significant strikes almost every time there's a fight night or a pay-per-view. And it always disturbs me because we rely on those numbers so much and they're always just so wrong. There'll be more significant strikes than punches landed except they'll have more punches landed than actually were landed. I don't know. I think their eyes are closed the whole time and just listening to the crowd. From there, we go to a women's flyweight bout between number 12, Ashley Evans-Smith, and number 14, Andrea KGB Lee. I thought going into this that Ashley Evans-Smith was going to win. That's who I had picked to win the fight. I was wrong. It was a pretty close fight. Uh, there, it was for the most part, for the most part, it was a, a striking game. And Lee just happened to be more accurate with her striking, throw more strikes. And she ended up picking up the victory. 30-27 uh, unanimous decision all around. I ended up giving the first round to Ashley, but barely gave the first round to Ashley. So I wasn't disappointed with a 30-27 for Lee. It seemed reasonable. So from there, they go to a bantamweight bout between Manny Bernudez and Benito Lopez. This one, if you love submissions, go look this one up. This was night nice. It was super nice. I was watching this and I could not believe how tight this submission was. Manny Bermudez had a really, really tight modified Darce slash modified guillotine choke that picked him up the victory three minutes and nine seconds into the first round. And then from there, we go to the main event of the prelims with a bantamweight, another bantamweight bout between number five, Jimmy Rivera, versus number seven, Aljo Aljamain Sterling. 
it was a really good fight. Lots of boxing in this fight. Um, Rivera went for a few takedowns, but Sterling has some really good takedown defense. They went up against the cage a few times. They did go down to the ground a couple of times, but they weren't on the ground for, I don't think it was more than like 20 seconds each time. And, you know, uh, Aljo really just seemed to want to keep it up on the um, standing. Which for for Aljo is kind of kind of weird, um, but he wanted to keep it. It seemed like he wanted to keep it up standing. He picked up the win, thirty twenty seven unanimous decision. Surprisingly, the judges agree quite a bit. Sunday, oh, you got thirty twenty seven. Me too. Me too. Twenty nine twenty eight. Ah, me too. It was. <laughs> Pretty amusing that that is like the first time ever they've all agreed pretty much every fight. And in his post-fight, um, in his post-fight interview with Anik, Sterling said he wants to fight Marlon Marais next, which I think would be a good fight. And, you know, it kind of goes into the dilemma that Dana White has self-made at the Bantamweight division, considering Henry beat TJ. So technically, Henry's the number one contender for TJ's belt now. But Marlon's also the number one contender for TJ's belt now. So it's kind of one of those number one contender dilemmas that Dana White has put himself in. And... I'd actually prefer Marais to get a title shot first and then maybe, you know, give Cejudo a title shot. But if you give Cejudo a title shot, then I think you take Marais and Aljamain, put them as the co-main event. And then if, you know, Cejudo can't make it, then you just move Marais up. Or if TJ can't make it, then you just move Marais up and have them fight in the main event. No offense to Sterling. I just think that, you know, that just makes more sense as far as rankings get, go. <coughs> Sorry about that. As far as rankings go, I think Mariah's going up to fight Cejudo, would, or Cejudo or TJ would make sense at that point. And, you know, it's nothing against Aljamain. I, I would love to see uh, Aljamain fight for a title at one some point, but I also prefer the sanctity of rankings and number one contendership to actually mean something in the UFC. And in recent years, it has really, the meaning of that stuff has really, really gone down. So we start off the main card on ESPN with a featherweight bout between Andre Touchy-Feely versus Miles Fury Jury. This was a phenomenal fight. These guys were going at it. Um, Jury ended up rocking Feely in the last minute of the first round. But I think Feely still takes the first round.
uh, in the second round, Jury ended up looking more like himself. In the first round, it was very much Feely, and Jury seemed kind of in and out, and it just didn't seem like he was really himself during that. Uh, Jury ended up hitting a spinning back fist on Feely in the second one that knocked him down, and Jury was in full mount, but Feely ended up transitioning several times and put Jury in full guard. In the end, it was a lot of boxing, a lot of jabs that were just solid, solid strikes, and Andre Feely ended up picking up a unanimous decision, 29-28. It was a very close fight. Both these guys were bruised up afterwards. It was just amazing. From there, we jump into another crazy fight of just haymakers. So we have a welterweight bout between Vincent Luque and Brian Barbarena. So Luque has a three-inch reach advantage. Um, both of these guys were absolute monsters in this fight. They're both super tough. They both threw a lot of really tough strikes. And Barbarena is just tough as get-out for being able to take all the strikes that were thrown at him, for sure. Because Luque was definitely relentless. Both guys were throwing super tough strikes. This fight almost went the distance. It was a round three, four minutes, 51 seconds, TKO, as Luque ended up hitting Barbarina with, I think it was a hook-hook-knee combination, Followed up by another knee as Barbarina ended up falling to the ground. It was a phenomenal fight. From there we go to a featherweight bout between Alex Caceres and Crone Gracie. We have another Gracie back in the UFC. I think it's actually pretty fitting that we have another Gracie back in the UFC 25 years later. And on top of that, if I recall, the first submission and the UFC was by Hoist Gracie and it was a rear naked choke. Which is only fitting because Crone debuted and picked up a submission victory two minutes and six seconds into the first round with, you guessed it, a rear naked choke victory. A rear naked choke that was so, so tight. And all the power to, you know, power to Alex for staying in as long as he could. It was a super tight rear naked choke and you could just tell that the second crone got him down it was the beginning of the end crone ended up getting his back put in a body triangle a tight body triangle and then was hunting for the rear naked choke he ended up finally getting the rear naked choke and stuck it in super tight 
and picked up the submission victory. Also, Nate, Nate Diaz was there in Crone's Corner, and I thought that was kind of amusing. Um, Nate Diaz does have a really good jiu-jitsu background as well. From there, we go to a women's strawweight bout between number 11, Courtney Casey, and number 12, Cynthia Calvillo. I was really looking forward to this fight. Um, I ended up going with Calvillo, and Calvillo's ranked one under Courtney. So it's, you know, they're basically neck and neck to each other in the rankings. But I've always... I've always rooted for Calvillo, and I, I probably always will, unless she ends up making it to a title fight with Rose, and then I'm going to have a difficult decision whether I'm going to continue rooting with for Rose or root for Calvillo. I guess at that point, it just depends on how many years I think Rose will keep fighting. Uh, but Courtney has a three-inch reach advantage. It's a relatively close fight, lots of boxing. Um, and in the last minute of the fight, uh, Cynthia just decided, okay, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to go out with a bang because they both just started swinging for the fences. Even at that, both girls, with it being a super close fight, and both girls just swinging for it at the end, it goes to the judge's decision and comes back for Cynthia Calvillo, 29-28, 29-28, 30-27, unanimous decision. In Calvillo's post-fight interview with Anik, she said she wanted to fight Tatiana Suarez. I actually think that'd be a really good fight for her. And if I'm Dana, I would want to book that fight. Be really good, stellar fight. From there, in the co-main event, we had a lightweight bout between James Vick and Paul Felder. This was a really good fight where Paul Felder really showcased his skills. And Paul Felder ended up picking up the win. Um, Vic, you know, Vic had a six and a half inch reach advantage, but Vic was not fighting like a tall guy at all. And Felder just, you know, he went in there and was a, just a destruction machine. James Vick got a lot of good stuff in as as well. I I figured he would have been able to keep Felder more at bay though with his reach. And he just wasn't able to. Felder, you know, was getting in close a lot. And Felder was pushing that and you know um, pushing against that reach advantage and wasn't letting Vick have it. Um Whenever Vic, you know, Felder did become too much, Vic would go for the clinch and he'd end up going near the cage, but then he'd back away from the cage. His coaches yelled at him a lot, don't go near the cage, stay away from the cage. Um, 
you, you know, you could see Vic learned a lot from his last fight. Uh, the cage was just kind of a big part of his last fight with Gaethje, where he lost. So even though Felder uh, definitely won the fight, Vic's still learning quite a bit, and I'm sure he, he will pick up a lot from this fight as well. Um, during this fight, I, you know, I had a big problem with fans because I mean, these guys were going at it during this fight, but fans and I think it was in Louisiana, the fans in Louisiana absolutely sucked. If you pay 60 plus dollars to go watch an MMA fight, then you should know you're there to watch an MMA fight. You shouldn't be booing when the fighters are doing stuff. I don't care if they're on the ground, standing up. You shouldn't be booing. Um, yeah, it was... The fans sucked. And what I didn't get about this fight is... How is Felder not ranked? Like seriously, Felder doesn't like did not look like an unranked fighter during this fight at all. Felder should be a ranked fighter. I think Ariel Hawani on his podcast was pushing for that. I'm definitely pushing for that. Felder should be a ranked fighter. There's no question about it. Especially after beating the number 10 lightweight, Felder should be a, a ranked fighter. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Nagano Kane fight. I'm going to tell you how or what happened. And then we're going to take a look. I'm going to take a look at it in slow motion and describe to you exactly what happened. And I'm going to watch it at half speed. So this whole controversy of what happened in the main event will stop. So Francis beat Kane with a TKO victory 26 seconds into the first round. Kane didn't land a punch on Francis. And I was stunned. My girlfriend was watching this fight with me. And she looked away for a few seconds and was like, wait, it's over? I missed something. And I watched it, and that's how I felt, because I was confused on what had just happened. Because when I first saw it, I didn't see the see anything that looked like it could contribute to a knockout. I didn't see anything that looked like it could contribute to Kane's knees buckling. I didn't see any of that. And it happened so quick. I didn't understand what was going on. But I've probably watched it at least 20 times since then. Um, and there's so many different theories coming out from fans now. And you know, uh, a lot of the viewpoints I could possibly see some are just wrong on so many levels. And Kane himself has two viewpoints on this somehow. Because last night after the post-fight, 
Kane said, you know, I just went in, I was too close, and he caught me. You know, wake up on Monday and Tuesday. Oh, no, he, you know, nothing ever landed. My knees just buckled. Um, if you think nothing landed, and I'm, you know, not necessarily talking to Kane when I say this, I'm talking to all the fans that somehow ignored every single punch and uppercut and, you know, everything that happened. You're wrong. Unless you're talking about nothing landed from Kane Velasquez. You're wrong in this matter. So let, I'm going to go ahead and hit play here and we're going to take a look back to and we'll I'll describe exactly what happened. Kane goes for a roundhouse kick with his left leg, misses, it's up against Cage. Uh, Francis hits him on the head once, then right hook, left hook, uppercut, and Kane buckles. And that was actually, even at half speed, that still happened faster than I could describe. So yeah, you know, whether the uppercut happened, or whether the uppercut led to the KO, I don't know. But to say the uppercut didn't land is wrong. And to say nothing landed is wrong. Because Francis fires off, gets a right hook, a left hook, and an uppercut before Kane buckles. He, in fact, almost kind of sort of gets a hammer fist on the back of Kane's head before the entire altercation happens. And you can kind you can also kind of see Kane's head in the video move back as Francis's hand hits him. It's nothing major, but just a little that you know you can see that the fact that he did get hit. So, I mean, this isn't up for debate anymore. Francis touched him, and Kane buckled. Whether Kane buckled because Francis touched him, or because his knees just gave out, I don't know. Kane might know that, but Kane's the only person that knows that at this point. Now, if you tell the story that Francis caught you, okay, you lost to a guy who's an absolute killer, and it almost took Overeem's neck off. If you tell the story that your knees buckled, it kind of paints a picture that everyone's painting now that you're injured. And if you paint the picture that, you know, you lost the fight because your knees buckled, not because of the uppercut, it just paints a picture that you're injured and makes UFC fans question whether or not we're going to see you back in the UFC or if you're going to be on another hiatus. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break, mainly because my 30-second timer of 30-minute timer of recording is almost over. And then we're going to go ahead and hop into some hot topics and some news before we jump into fight predictions. Thank you, everyone. I'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, so we're going to talk about some news related to the Nagano Velasquez fight night real quick. 
and then we'll jump into some hot topics. Um, let's see, we, Bermudez was four pounds over the 136th limit. He weighed in at 140 pounds, had a 30% of his purse fine. Panay weighed in two pounds over the 116 limit. She was supposed to have a 20% fine of her purse. The fight actually got pulled from the card. She had an injury. I forget what the injury was. Um, I remember Ariel Hawani said something about it on his podcast. So I'm sure there's something on his Twitter about it. And then Renan uh, Burrell weighed two pounds over the 136 limit, weighed in at 138 pounds, had 20% of his purse fined. Um, towards the end of the James Vick Paul Felder fight, one of the punches ended up uh, hitting Felder's ribs. Paul Felder had a suffered a collapsed lung, and he had to go to the hospital and stay an extra night. He's doing okay now, but he's not going to be the analyst at UFC Fight Night Prague this Saturday. So that's all the news I have related to this one, surprisingly. You know, typically I've got a lot more news that's not just uh, people overweight, but surprisingly three missed weights is quite a bit for a, a fight card. So, some hot topics for this week. Who should be next for Francis Nagano? Nagano wants DC next, but then he jumps over Kane. Which, I mean, I know the UFC is all about people, some fighters jumping other fighters for title shots. But, you know, uh, DC said that he would beat Francis if they fought. With I uh, with Francis being ranked number three, you know, that kind of gives him two opponents to face. Either Stipe, or well, I guess three opponents. Stipe, DC, or Lewis. I'm more keen on seeing uh, Stipe, Stipe and Francis fight again. I think it'd be different this time. I think it'd be really interesting. Um, I think it's possible we could see Stipe get knocked out again. So there, there's kind of two ways that fight goes. Stipe gets knocked out again. And then, you know, it, that's two knockouts in a row for Stipe. And he kind of goes down a little. And that would really affect Stipe. And I, I don't think Stipe would want that. Um, or Nagano gets destroyed again. And then, you know, it'd be the same. And obviously at that point, Nagano probably can't beat Stipe. The other alternative is we have Nagano versus Derek Lewis, which I'm not too keen on because, unfortunately, I still remember Nagano versus Lewis won. And it was the most boring fight in UFC history, two punches thrown, 
the whole fight, a 15-minute fight with two punches thrown, no ground game, they seriously stood up and circled around for 15 minutes. I think the fight would probably go fairly different this time, but I still have huge reservations about that fight. Mainly because I don't want to see a, re a possible repeat of the first one. And the Nagano DC thing is not going to happen because Dana said he already has a fight planned for DC. I don't know what that fight is because he wouldn't tell anyone. But he has a fight planned for DC. I don't know if DC knows what the fight is. Um, but he hasn't announced it yet because DC still rehabbing his injuries. So, uh, you know, you can let me know who on our Twitter or Facebook who you think Nagano should fight next. Um, should we see DC versus Lesnar and Stipe versus Nagano on the same card? Uh, DC versus Stipe and then Nagano versus Lewis as a co-main? You know, um, what options do you think? Who should be next for Cain Velasquez? And I know a lot of people right now are thinking, oh, no one, he should retire. Which is kind of funny because fans kind of turn on you pretty quick in this business when you lose. You know, um, been, I, I had names in my head earlier of fighters that have lost and fans just turned on them immediately. You know, with Silva, all of a sudden, oh, Silva's super old. He, you know, he's 43. Yeah, Israel lost to an old guy. With Kane, it's like, oh my gosh, he's plagued with injuries. He should just retire. Why not give the guys a chance here? You know, I think Kane deserves another shot. And I think fans should stop being so flippy floppy. But I know that one of those things is not going to happen. With that being said... Um, so who should Kane fight? <laughs> I think there's a lot of potential fights in the heavyweight division for Kane. Um, I'm more keen on seeing Kane versus Blades. Because at this point, Blades isn't top, top ranked. And I don't think they want to have Kane fight another, you know, top three guy. So have him fight Blades. And... I think that'd be really good. Both are really good at wrestling. Both are really good at stand-up. Be a really good fight. And it's going to rebuild one of the guys, whether it's Kane or Blades. I have a hard time with that one. Or if that fight happens, I would have a hard time. Just because I really like Blades. I think he should have gotten a title shot a while ago before Lewis got one. It still doesn't make sense to me how Lewis managed to jump over Blades in the ranking when the Lewis had two wins that were very you know, unspectacular. He, he had a win against Nagano where he had two punches thrown that won him the fight. And then his fight right before he fought DC, he lost that fight up until he knocked, uh, knocked him out. And Blades, his two fights around that time... He dominated. Blades 
somehow got jumped in rank, though. And, yeah. I think Kane versus Blades would end up being a good fight. Um, who knows what they're going to do. Who knows if, you know, Kane is injured. You know, we don't know. Oh, here's... So my favorite one to, you know, get in debates with people over lately is DC looking for easy or money fights. Okay, obviously DC wants a money fight if he's fighting Brock. But DC also isn't opposed to fighting Stipe. He's not opposed to fighting Nagano. He's not opposed to fighting Jones. You know, DC is willing to take these fights. There's a few problems with this. DC's currently injured and working on getting healthy so he can fight again. It's problem one. Problem two, DC doesn't make the fights. He doesn't book the fights. DC just says, yeah, I'll fight. I'll take that fight. Dana books the fights. So, DC can't be looking for an easy fight because Dana books the fights and DC just says, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll fight that guy. Yeah, I'll fight that guy. And when has DC taken an easy fight in his, in his career? He's fought the top of the top. Pretty much his whole career. You know, since he came in, he's been fighting like top 10 guys. And then he went to light heavyweight and fought top five guys. And then came back and fought top five guys. Not exactly easy. I wouldn't call John Jones easy or Rumble easy or Gus easy or Stipe easy. You know, Lewis is... Lewis has knockout power, and everyone is all hyped on Lewis up until Lewis lost. Oh, yeah, totally saw how that fight was going to go. But, you know, two days before that fight happened, everyone was predicting Lewis to knock DC out. So, no, DC isn't looking for an easy fight. DC's looking to rehab. He's looking for at least one more fight. He could be doing more than that. We don't know yet. We don't know what future holds for DC. We don't even know that he's Brock's actually going to fight him. You know, Brock's playing WWE right now. Brock's a little busy. A little. I'm pretty sure he's only got like a part-time schedule in WWE, but a little busy. So... Yeah, DC's not looking for easy fights. Okay, our next topic, which we're going to throw a little heat at Dana and the UFC in this one. Because in an interview in regards to Khabib saying that he was going to sit out until, I think it's November, October or November, with, because his buddy's suspensions were 12 months. So yeah, that put it October. Dana said, guys can't just sit out and wait that long when you have the title. Um, Dana, there's one small 
problem with your logic there. I'd like to present to you Connor McGregor. A, you know, at least Khabib is sitting out because he's suspended. And then he's sitting out for what? An extra three months? You can still line a fight up to be in October. His suspension will be up. His buddy's suspension will be up. And that three months is long enough for a fight camp. And you're over here talking about interim this, interim that. Conor McGregor held the featherweight title for 12, no, 11 months before he was stripped. Never defended it. Instead fought D Nate Diaz twice. And then after he got the lightweight title, he held that one for 17 months before he was stripped. And I can't remember who, but there was someone who said that Connor was wrongfully stripped. No, he wasn't wrongfully stripped. He held a title for 17 months with no intentions of defending it. He went and played boxing and then just sat at home. 17 months compared to 12. That's an extra five months. And you're saying over you're over here saying guys can't sit out and wait while they have the title. Um, Connor McGregor. You know, I know you say a lot of ridiculous things, Dana, but come on. You really gonna show your colors for your for your boy that much? And we don't need an interim title fight right now. And who's going to be in the interim title fight? Um, unless it's Poirier and Ferguson? No. Ferguson should be in the next title fight in lightweight. It's not a debate. Well, it shouldn't be a debate. He has more than earned that title shot. And we're over here talking about giving Connor a rematch, which would be the fourth title shot Connor's gotten that he didn't earn? That he just kind of jumped the line? No, give Ferguson a title shot. Set it up, schedule it for October, November, December, whichever. You don't need a strip, Khabib. You don't need an interim title. At this point, I don't think Tony wants an interim title. You already stripped Tony of an interim title once, you think he's going to believe you're not going to do it again? No, just book Ferguson versus Khabib towards the last quarter of the year. It's not that complicated. You know, um, for any of these topics, feel free to go to our Facebook page at UFP Ultimate Fighting podcasts and you know start a debate with me about it or just give me your opinion about it or go on twitter at ufp 2019 and leave me your thoughts there you know maybe you have different opponents in mind maybe you have a better scenario in mind you know i think lightweight needs to be Ferguson and I don't think there's a debate for that one so let's go ahead and jump to a UFC 
Fight Night on ESPN Plus. I think we're at three or four. The main event is John Blockowicz versus Tiago Santos. I'm going with Tiago Santos on this one. Um, John, both guys are really great fighters. I've just always rooted for Tiago Santos in every fight he goes with. Uh, just can't ever root against that guy. You know, you never know. And he usually pulls out a lot of crazy, amazing stuff. I foresee him being able to do it again. And then for the co-main event, we have Stefan Skyscraper Struve versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Rogerio de Lima. Stefan Struve is ranked number 15. I think he's had two or three losses in a row now. So this is kind of a big comeback fight for Stefan Struve where he needs to win this one. I'm rooting for Stefan on this one. Um, I'm hoping since his last fight, he's learned a lot. You know, maybe he's learned how to use his reach better. Maybe he's, you know, come back with a different mindset. Hopefully he pulls this out. I'm going with Stefan. Then we have uh, a light heavyweight bout with Gian Volante and Mikel Oleksijek. I'm going with Gian Volante on this one. Um, John Vellante's been doing really well, and I, I think he's got this. I think he has potential to eventually be up in the top five, be a ranked guy, and maybe, you know, at least be in the top five. Then we have a women's flyweight bout with... Number six, Liz Carmouche versus number 14, Lucy Pudilova. Typically, I'd, you know, typically I'd root with Liz Carmouche. Um, but every now and then, I, I, I like to root for an underdog. And being number 14, fighting number six, it's a pretty big underdog right there. You're, num- you're eight ranks away. So I'm going to go with Lucy uh, Pudilova uh, on this one. And maybe I'm right. Uh, Maybe Carmooch pulls out another win, though. Here's another fight I'm really excited for. Bantamweight bout number 8, John Dodson versus number 14, uh, Peter Yan. I'm going to go with Dodson on this one. I always love seeing Dodson fight. He's very... He's a very interesting fighter. He's um, always super fast. You can almost say he's kind of charismatic while fighting. He just there's just something about his fighting style that is super interesting. Um, he's always super happy while he's in there. And then for our first fight on the main card, the light heavyweight bout between Magomed Ankalov versus Darko Stosik. I'm going with Ankalov on this one. Um, I don't really have any reasoning behind it. I I just decided I was going to go with Ankalov. No, no reason for that. Just, 
it was like I flipped a coin in my head. So last week we had a fight night on Sunday, which I really hope the UFC never does Sunday again. Sunday really does not work for me. You know, if you're gonna do Sunday, do it during the day, please. Being done at eleven, eleven thirty at night. Oh my gosh. I had to work the next day. I'm sure a lot of other people had to work the next day. And it was done 11, 11.30 here in Oklahoma. You know, out on the East Coast, it's, that's what, 1, 1.30? Yeah, that's pretty late if you have to get up in the morning at 6 or 7 to go to work. Or 5, like I do. So, yeah, I wasn't fond of that. Um, but this one... Is on Saturday. The it's in Prague, so the prelims start at 8 a.m. Pacific time, and the main event, the main card, starts at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So here's our day one. It's a pretty early morning start if you're you know in San Diego or on that side of town. Luckily. I don't have to wake up super early to watch that, which is nice for me. It also allows for plans on Saturday night. So, I'll probably actually see if it's... The main starts at 11. That put it at 1 o'clock here. Probably means it's over at 3 or 4. Yeah. I'll probably record right after. Yeah, I'll probably record uh, the episode next week right after that happens. Right after the Santos. Well, probably, you know, shortly after the Santos Blockowix fight finishes. I'll probably record that and have it, you know, dropped Saturday evening, Saturday night. Um, and then on. March 3rd, we're going to have two episodes drop. We'll have our UFC 235 and review episode drop, where we take a look back at all the amazing fights happening that night. And we will have our first, I think I'm going to call it the Legacy Series, our first episode in our Legacy Series for John Bones Jones, where we take a look back at John Bones Jones' career in MMA, his six fights before the UFC, and all of his fights up to now in the UFC. And we'll talk about everything as far as, you know, time lapse, um, drug tests, anything that happened in his career that correlates with it. And at points, it's going to sound like I'm biased, and at points, it's going to sound like I'm unbiased, but it's going to be a good episode where it just reminds you how good of an athlete this guy has been and how crazy his career has been in the UFC and how many amazing fights he has had so far. And it's going to be a great first episode for our Legacy series. And I can't wait to do the next one after that as well. So make sure, you know, tune in next Saturday. Listen to next Saturday's ep uh, episode. Uh, 
um, send, you know, send some hot topics you want to hear talked about and my thoughts and opinion on them to our Facebook group or to my Twitter at UFP 2019 for Twitter, UFP Ultimate Fighting Podcast for Facebook. And I don't know if Spotify has a subscribe option, but, you know, subscribe. That way you know when new episodes come out because sometimes they're going to come out like a day late or two days late like this one because they're on a Sunday for some crazy reason. Or when we have the bonus episodes for the Legacy series, um, subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify. Give us a rating, um, some feedback. Tell your friends and family about us so we, they can listen. And make sure to tune in March 3rd and listen back to the John Jones Career episode. That one will probably be a few hours. At probably at least two hours, maybe more. Um, I don't have it completely done yet, but I'm working through it. And it's it's going to be a little bit longer one. So tune in next week and tune in March 3rd. Thank you everyone for listening. And I'll see you then. Hope you enjoy the fights. And thank you for listening to the Ultimate Fighting Podcast. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.